Welcome back to After the Buzzer Sports Talk, and I'm your host, Aiden Mayer. Alright guys, welcome back for another episode. In today's episode, a lot to get to. First, I want to start with my biggest takeaways from this last week in the NFL. A lot of things that we can take away. The playoff race is starting to get heated. I want to get to that. Then, the new NBA. There's a, Not new NBA, but these new NBA rule changes. Not schedule changes, sorry. I was trying to find the right word there. Uh, the new possible schedule the NBA's thinking of. What are my thoughts on that? I'm going to break it down for you guys. Then I want to get to the Celtics. We have not touched up on them in a while. I also want to get to some Bruins soon. Some more college football. Uh, I also want to get to just NBA takeaways in general. But we got enough on the slate for today. Hopefully I can come out with those soon. Uh, so first we're going to get to some of my biggest NFL takeaways from this past week. So let's get to that. Week 12 consisted of a few close games. We saw, you know, games like the Thursday, uh, Thursday night football between the Colts and the Texans. We saw games like the Panthers and the Saints that went down to field goals. But there were also a lot of blowouts, some that we didn't see. And there's a lot of t- things that we can take away. First of all, the playoff race right now. It's not too hot, really. It isn't. Uh, the Patriots have basically locked up the AFC East. It basically feels like that anyway. I wouldn't say the Chiefs have locked up the AFC West, but the consensus is they're going to win it. The Ravens have locked up the AFC North. And then the AFC South is a little close. Texans are only up on the Colts and the Titans by a game. But that's what made Thursday Night Football so significant. Who is going to win this division? The Jaguars, they're kind of sinking right now. But... The Titans just picked up a big win over the Jaguars, kept themselves in it. Ryan Tannehill's been playing great uh, while he's been in for the Titans instead of Marcus Mariota, who really struggled. And that has been a good decision. It's really kept the Titans in, and they could be a sleeper for the wild card. Uh, And the thing about it is, right now, that second wild card spot is going to be the race. I don't think there's going to be a very good divisional race coming down to the end of the year. I could potentially see maybe the AFC South with the Texans and the Colts, maybe even the Titans getting a little close towards the end. But I really just think it's the second wildcard spot because we all know the Bills who they lose like a game or two and then we all start to panic. I'm not panic, but we all start to talk about it. Ever since those loss, like the loss against the Eagles, no one's really talking about them. They're saying it. They're eight and three. They played really well this year. They basically locked up the first spot. So the second spot, the Raiders just got blown out to the Jets. Again, they are only a game behind the Chiefs, but the consensus is the Chiefs are going to win that division. But the Raiders, they played well this year. That game against the Jets was horrible, but they're still in it. Okay, so the wild card race is essentially the Bills are in first, and then the second wild card spot really boils down to the Raiders, the Steelers, the Colts, and the Titans. And then there are teams like the Browns sitting at five and six that they win, you know, they they went out these next two weeks. Maybe they're in it. They're at seven and six. Maybe nine and seven. It will be good enough by the end of this year to snag that second wildcard spot. It very well could be. Nine and seven will be good enough. And odds are it will go down to a tiebreaker. But. Like, again, I, I do think it goes down to those teams and that I don't count out a team like the Browns just because they're they're still in it. And 
they're, you know, a few, if they win out these next two, three weeks, we really got to count them. I know they face the Dolphins this week. I don't know how much you can take away from that, but still, NFC race is just a blowout. It is. NFC East is interesting because you've got the 6-5 and five Cowboys and the 5-6 and six Eagles battling it out for that division. Then you got the Giants and the Redskins. That division has been horrible this year. My goodness. But the NFC West, you got the 49ers and Seahawks. If you look at it, really, the NFC North and the NFC West is going to produce two playoff teams. Right now, it goes down to this. Let me play it out for you. In the NFC East, the Cowboys and Eagles. Whoever wins the division goes to the playoffs. So that means either the Cowboys are going to win the division going to the playoffs, or the Eagles are going to win the division and go to the playoffs. Whoever doesn't win that division is not making the playoffs. It's that simple. I don't see the Cowboys winning out and going 11-5. and five. I just don't see it happening. And by the way, Jason Garrett, the way, the way he prepared for that game was horrendous. That decision to kick the field goal, horrendous. He He's on a hot seat. What? You know, Bill Belichick does this, and this doesn't mean like the Browns are off the hook either. They did the same thing, but you know you're going to Foxborough in a tough environment. It's going to be rainy. So you know what? They decided to practice indoors with dry footballs. No, you go outside, practice in the elements that you are going to play in. Practice with wet balls. Do what you are going to do in the game. Dak Prescott made some bad passes. Uh, Tight ends were afraid to get hit. The special teams play was horrendous. I don't think the Patriots' offense played that great. I don't think we got to learn a ton of from this game because of the elements and because of the way the Cowboys seed prepared. But one thing we did learn, I guess you could say, from that game was Jason Garrett did a horrible job of preparing. But I don't think we could have seen both teams at their full strength, which would have been more interesting. Uh, but again, like the NFC West and the NFC North is going to produce those two teams. You've got the 10-1 Seahaw- uh, Seahawks and the 10-1 49ers. One of those teams is going to win the division. The other is going to get the first wildcard spot and potentially the second if they drop a few games. And then the NFC North, it's the Packers and Vikings sitting at 8-3. and three. Whoever wins the division wins the division. Whoever doesn't probably grabs the second wildcard spot. Because when you look at it, in the NFC East, second place is the Eagles at 5-6. and six. In the NFC South, it's the Panthers at 5-6. and six. Outside of the – I mean, the Rams are 6-5. and five. I'll give you that. The Rams are 6-5. and five. That was an embarrassing loss they had yesterday, but the Rams are a very talented team, and they're still over 500. So when I look at it, really, between Cowboys and Eagles, they just have to win the division. There's no wild card for them. There really isn't. Because the Seahawks and the Vikings, those are, you're looking at potentially right there, 11, you know, like the Vikings could be an 11-win team, and the Seahawks could be a 12-win team. And they're both wildcard teams. So, and I look at that for the uh, Los Angeles Rams right now, who only have five games remaining. That means the Rams really do have to win out. The Rams really do have to win. Because I look at it this way. The Eagles aren't out of it just because the Cowboys are only a game ahead of them. But in the wildcard race, they are. Okay? Really, the Rams are the only team... Right now, that's not in the playoff picture. That really has a chance to get in with the wild card spot. The Eagles would be the other exception if they win the division. If that makes any sense, these aren't very tight wild card ra- uh, race playoff races. I hope uh, though that we, you know, something can heat up here. 
Uh, next week, I think some games to keep an eye for. Titans Colts will be a very good game. It's only it's going to be on at one o'clock. I doubt it's prime time. I even checked, but that two six and five teams right there, trying to not only make a push for their division, but for that second spot in the division as well. If the Texans lose next week, uh, they are facing the Patriots, which most likely they will. I know the Texans, I believe they hold some tiebreakers. So, I mean, but that's going to be a big game right there. Another one, 49ers-Ravens, that's on a 1 o'clock. I'd love to see that be prime time. It's going to be a great game. I, it doesn't really matter for playoff implications. Steelers and Browns could be a sneaky good game for the fact not only with the Miles Garrett situation, but the playoff race. The Steelers are quietly in it. In the Browns, they're a few wins away from actually being in the combo. So if the Steelers win, they really make a good bid, and they might even be at that second wildcard spot. And if the Browns win, they stay in it. So if the Browns lose, they're out, and the Steelers make a very good case. If the Browns win, you've got two teams with low odds, but both are still in it. It's a little complicated, I know. Uh, t- looking for some other good games here. Uh, Viking Seahawks. You're potentially looking at the two wild card teams out of the NFC. Two very good wild card teams. It's Monday Night Football. Patriots Texans won't be bad either. And Raiders and Chiefs. I know you know the consensus again is the Chiefs will win that division, but the Raiders are only a game behind. So the Raiders win that game. All of a sudden, we got a tie. Which would be crazy. No one would expect that. Oh, but some takeaways from this week, anyway. Uh, if I can find it, here we go. Uh, again, Texans beat the Colts. That was huge. Uh, the Jets stomping on the Raiders. I picked the Jets because the Jets are an unpredictable team. But I kind of predicted this. Not a blow, but I predicted a good day from the Jets. Uh, but the Raiders. I mean. That would have been a big game to win, and especially this Jets team. I know when they play good, they're a decent team. But they're only, what, they're a three-win team? Four-win team? Excuse me, four and seven. They're four and seven. That's a team you got to beat. They're making a push. The Raiders are, you know, win a few games. They're really, you know, they're knocking on the doorstep and you lose to a team like the Jets. That just can't happen. Uh, Redskins lose to the Lions. I know it's only 19 points, but that Lions defense is treacherous. They are horrible. The Lions, and Matt Fredish is a defensive coordinator. I think this Lions defense, talent-wise, isn't great, but they're better than what they're doing right now. Matt Patricia, I think he's on a little bit of a hot seat. The Lions got off to a very good start to this season, and now they're sitting at 3-7-1. and People were like, oh, you know, this is a good, good start. They have been horrible. They're going to have to reconstruct that defense over the offseason, and they have work to do offensively as well. Matt Stafford's been banged up. He's getting older. They have to start thinking about their replacement at quarterback. They have to start thinking about maybe adding a guy on the offensive line, and that defense needs to be revamped. You've got Darius Slay. You've got Trey Flowers. You've got some guys. I like their receiving core. I'll give you that. TJ Hawkinson, I know outside of week one, he really hasn't been good, but there's still some potential there. You've got Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, Danny Amendola. That's fine. And Carryon Johnson's not a bad running back. So their skill positions on offense aren't bad. But the quarterback position for the future needs to be addressed soon, either this offseason or next offseason, or even at the trade deadline. I think they need to add a piece or two on the offensive line. In the defense, there's a ton of holes all over the place. So they need to really start thinking about that. Saints and the Panthers. Oh, my goodness. 
the Saints teams are. I still think the Saints are the. It's so. I don't want to say this, but I, I do think at the end of the day, come playoff time, the Saints have the best team in the NFC, but lately they haven't been playing great. Their defense really struggling against the Panthers. Oh, I have all respect for Kyle Allen. He's played well, and Christian McCaffrey's a beast as well. But that's not a great offense. It really isn't. Uh, and that's a very good Saints defense, so that scared me. And if uh, Joey Sly or whatever his name is, yeah, Joey Sly, makes that kick, odds are you lose that game. You are lucky Will Lutz came in and won. So the Saints are, I mean, they're 9-2. They're one loss. They're one, uh, one of their first loss, excuse me, uh, was the one where Teddy Bridgewater came in. He didn't really look prepared. So the Saints have been good this year, but then they go out and lose to the Falcons. They almost lose this one to the Panthers. I'm getting a little nervous for the Saints, just a little bit. Uh, and I'm not as sold to them as I was, you know, three weeks ago or so. Buccaneers beating out the Falcons. What a day for Sir Chris Godwin. Seven catches for 184 yards and a touchdown. This guy is steady Eddie. He is consistently good. I like him, like, from a fantasy perspective, I think I'd rather have him than Mike Evans. Just for the fact, just get a little fantasy in there. Mike Evans is so inconsistent. Chris Godwin's had the better year this year, and he's much more consistent. Like, Godwin's always going to get you a solid amount of yards and catches. Mike Evans has gone a week or two where he didn't get a catch. I know he's had some big games. I mean, he can have a big game or a bad one. This week he had four catches, 50 yards, so it was kind of more in the middle, which is unusual, but... He's just so inconsistent. He really is. But Chris Godwin just went off. And James Winston having a normal James Winston day throws for over 300 yards and three touchdowns, but throws two picks. And then for the Falcons, you're three and eight. All right, you're three and eight. And I'll tell you, Matt Ryan did not look very good in this game at all. I mean, the pass rush kind of got to him. I won't lie. But, jeez, I, I had him in fantasy at about seven points. And it's just disappointing. I know you got no... Uh, Austin Hooper right now, but that team's starting to roll. Falcons, these past two weeks have been good ones. They beat the Saints. They went in and beat the Panthers. So the, it had been good weeks for the Falcons, but it's clear they, they just got a lot of work to do over the offseason. Uh, I don't know what else to say there. Titans blowing out the Jaguars. Again, as I was saying earlier, Ryan Tannehill has been incredible for this team. He only passed the ball 18 times, but he completed 14 of those passes for 259 yards and two touchdowns. He's making the most of his opportunities. He was back up for Marcus Mariota. They said, you know, we're going to take you out. I wasn't a big believer in this whole Ryan Tannehill thing. I thought at best he's a little better than he was in Miami. Ryan Tannehill hasn't blown me away. He's like a Pro Bowl quarterback, but he's been pretty good when he's been in. So, I give him credit for that. Derrick Henry also had a great game. Nine, who goes 19 carries and averages 8.4 yards a carry for two touchdowns? None other than Derrick Henry, because Derrick Henry beasts on this Jaguars team. He feasted on him last year, feasts on him again this year. The, the Jaguars just have, you know, he's like their kryptonite. Ryan Tannehill also rushed for seven yard, uh, seven carries and four, uh, for 40 yards and two touchdowns. So, that's part of, you know, the 18 attempts. They dropped back the pass, I think. 25 times. I think one of them was a drawn-up QB draw, but I, I think 24, 25 times they dropped back to pass, which shows in a ton, but still. 
Uh, and then their defense didn't play too bad. Uh, but the Jaguars, with Nick Foles in, haven't even been that great. Uh, Leonard Fournette, though, 24 carries from 97 yards, two touchdowns. He did have a pretty good day. Uh, but moving on, again, the Titans really do stay in this race. That was a big, big win for them. Like, you wouldn't know. And Patriots and Cowboys, I already ranted on that one. Uh, but the Packers and the 49ers. Boy, did the Packers just get embarrassed. They just got dressed. They just got undressed by this 49ers team and their defense. Aaron Rodgers dropped back to complete third uh, for 33 uh, passes, completed 20 of them, and only threw for 104 yards. The 49ers did a phenomenal job against Aaron Rodgers and this Packers team. They basically, I wouldn't say they took away the run game. Alan Lazard had that big 21-yard run. Uh, Aaron Jones didn't do too great, but like Jamal Williams came in for 11 carries, 45 yards. They didn't take away the run, but they did a good enough job there. They did what was important. Let's stop Aaron Rodgers. They did a very good job in coverage uh, on some of these receivers. I know Devontae Adams had a decent day, but like, they really, like, they limited Aaron Rodgers' options. Most of them were just short dump-offs. I do give the 49ers a lot of credit. They're starting to look really for real for me. But, again, I don't know how them, and especially Jimmy G, is going to show up in the playoffs. Ravens destroy the Rams. The Ravens are looking deadly right now. Lamar Jackson, I'm not ready to call him my MVP just because you've got another guy, Russell Wilson. And Wilson beat him head-to-head. And I think as much as I want to say Lamar Jackson's MVP, Russell Wilson is still, he's there. Russell Wilson is still there making a fight. And I don't have a clear-cut winner at this point, but Lamar Jackson did throw for five TDs on like 15 completions, 20 attempts. My goodness. He is a beast. And Mark Ingram, too, like, he he helps out, too. 15 carries for 111 yards and a touchdown. Like, my goodness. Stop somebody. Marquise Brown had a decent game. Willie Sneed did, too. His two catches were both touchdowns. Mark Ingram caught a seven-yard pa- touchdown pass. The Rams just got undressed. If the Rams could have won that game, they go 7-4. and four. That would have been huge. I know it's a tough contest, but they that was a big, big game. Almost a must-win, really, for the Rams because now they basically got to win out. So those are some of my bigger takeaways after week 12 of the NFL season. So now we want to get to some of these potential schedule changes in the NBA. So let's get to that. On Saturday, Woj reported this drastic earthquake that could hit the NBA in 2021-2022. We have been warned a few years ahead that this huge earthquake could hit our beloved National Basketball Association in a few years. The NBA is considering reseeding conference finalists. They are considering a postseason type tournament based off of a European soccer league that would take place around now. And they're also considering. I, I, I just need too much. Uh, uh, 10 versus 9 versus 8 versus 7, like a play in for the 8th and 7th seed. Let me break this down for you. First. The regular season could be shortened to a minimum of 78 games or potentially 79. I hope it's 78. It's just a better number. The less, the better. Oh, I'm so sick of Like, I'm not sick of 82. I think there are some days where I'm like, geez, Celtics haven't played in two, three days. But the NBA, there's just too many games. And it's causing injuries. And I know, again, I circle back. I, all, I talked about load management. 
I said the biggest reason for this is AAU basketball burns out some of these players. Before AAU basketball was that popular, the 82-game schedule was never a problem. But the problem with that is AAU isn't going to slow down. All the top names are going to start keep playing AAU. AAU is not going to stop, you know, giving, you know, playing five games a day on the weekends. It's not going to change. So the NBA has to come up with a plan B. Plan B, shorten the NBA schedule. And that doesn't mean shorten the days instead. That's like saying, all right, our season lasts for a, a total of, let's just say, for example, this probably isn't correct, but 160 days and we have 82 games. Since we're going to shorten the amount of games by four, we're going to shorten the amount of days by seven as well. Like, instead of it being 160 days for our 82 games, it's going to be 153 days. That doesn't really do anything. Keep the same thing to shorten the amount of games in that time. More rest days. And that'll limit the amount of injuries, limit the fatigue. It'll be better. So I'm for limiting the games a few, especially if you're going to add these tournaments and a few more playing games for some of these teams. You've got to because you can't add even more games. That just It can't happen. It can't. No. Another one would be, again, the eight, uh, 10 versus 9 versus, you know, and then the 8 versus 7. So basically, the 9 and 10 seed would play, and then the 8 and 7 seed would play by the end of the regular season. The winner of the 8 versus 7 would get the 7 seed. So let's say the 8 seed wins there, now the 7 seed. The 7 seed wins, they just stay in their spot. It's, it's just one game, by the way, too, I believe. And then the loser of 8 versus 7 would go in to face the winner of 10 versus 9. If and the winner of 10 versus the loser of 10 versus 9 is now out. They they're out of playoff contention, but the winner faces the loser of 7 versus 8. The winner of 9 versus 10 faces the loser of 7 versus 8 and they play for that 8th seed. If that makes any sense. I like that idea. I really do. Because it's the bottom of the standings. None of those teams are going to make a run for the chip, but it spices things up a little bit. It adds a little more excitement to the beginning of the playoffs, which usually don't produce much of that, especially for some of those bottom feeders, the sevens and the eight seeds. Would it change a whole lot? No, because you look at it like odds are that seven seeds getting in either way, whether it might be the eight seed or whatever. It probably doesn't change a whole lot. Maybe the 9 seed makes instead of the 8, or the 9 instead of the 7. Maybe even the 10 makes instead of the 8. Maybe. And, may, you know, maybe it makes just a little change. Will it be a drastic change? No, it just adds a little bit of excitement. I'm down for that idea all day. And then this one, this one is more controversial. Reseeding the conference finalists. So basically the conference finals, you know, Eastern Conference finals and Western Conference finals, the team with the best record out of those four teams will face a team with the worst record. Even if it's, you know, West versus East, you know, let's say it's last year. Number one seed was the, uh, it was the, no, it wasn't the Nuggets. It was the, why can't I remember? It, it was, oh my goodness. I can't remember. Uh, let me think. Why am I so dumb? Um, well, all right, for whatever. Let's just say the Denver Nuggets are the one seed and the Los Angeles Clippers are the two seed. And it's the Clippers. Well, let's say the Nuggets have the best record. Then the Clippers have the second best record. The Bucks have the third best record out of the teams left. And then uh, Indiana makes it. Yeah. I don't think the Nuggets are made. And it's just hypothetical, okay? 
And then Indiana Pacers have the worst record. Instead of it being Bucks and Pacers versus Clippers and Nuggets, it would be Nuggets versus Pacers because those are the teams with the best and worst record. And then Clippers versus Bucks as the other conference finals, which means you, we could possibly see East versus East or West versus West in the NBA finals. Spices things up. I'm okay with it because the NBA needs to spice up the postseason. My thing with it is, though, from the NBA's perspective, not only is this a lot of work, and with the CBA especially, but isn't it a lot, you know, big change for a business that's really thriving? And the NBA is always looking to change and improve. And I'm okay with this because I think the NBA's always had interest in really spicing up the NBA season, uh, NBA postseason, because it's so bland. You don't see very, very many upsets. In the NFL, you do because it's one game. It's the NFL a lot of get you know stuff like that. The NHL, it really just a lot of upsets. That's just the way the NHL works. And the MLB get a decent amount of upsets. The NBA you don't get a whole lot. Last year you did. There were, no one saw the Raptors, and yeah, occasionally I'm not saying there are no upsets. Period. But out of the four major sports, that one really lacks postseason excitement. Just for the fact that yeah, it's exciting. Like I still like it. You know, I I. Preferably, if you ask me, would you rather watch the NBA playoffs or MLB playoffs? I'm taking the NBA playoffs. But at least the MLB, you know, there, there's going to be more upsets. No one saw the Nationals. That kind of came out of nowhere. It was the year of the underdogs this year. Um, but my goodness, like, it's just kind of bland. Like, there's like three title contenders every year, and one of those three always win. Last year was a bit of an exception. But that's very rare. Again, it's very rare. So adding a little bit of excitement, I'm down. And then the one that I'm confused about is the uh, little series. Uh, it's the one, not, why did I say series? Why? What am I talking about? Um, uh, an in-season tournament that's modeled after European Soccer League. He's always been interested in this, but... Um, I just, it's it's confusing me. I think it's basically some, it's some turn, it's basically a tournament based off some European soccer league. So it's going to be different. It's not going to be the your normal playoff format. All 30 NBA teams would be involved and there would be incentives for these players and coaches depending on, you know, how far your team went. So players would be a little more motivated and it would kind of be treated as some sort of a playoff because teams could sit there and say, Oh, you know what? There's no incentives. This is just like basically the NBA could sit there and say, "All right, this is just part of the NBA season." Expect, except we're gonna say it's a tournament. Players are gonna play slightly harder. That's about it. You add incentives, maybe they're sitting there and saying, "Okay, you know, maybe there's something to really play here for," and it'll be treated, you know, more like a playoff type scenario rather than just a tournament, like a different style regular season. So, again, I'm okay with these changes. I want to know what you guys think. Anchor mobile app, please call in. Please, please, please do. We want some callers. But I'm okay with this change. I want to think it through a little more. I want to hear some different sides of it. And I know it's a long way uh, ahead, but I wanted to touch up on this. So, now I'm going to get to the Boston Celtics. So, let's get to that. It's been a while since we specifically have talked Celtics basketball. Celtics are still hot. The 12 and 4, second in the East, tied with the Heat and the Raptors. Bucks are 14 and 3. They have been on a roll. They're 9 and 1 in their last 10, 8 game winning streak. Giannis is looking like a back to back MVP. You know, Giannis is averaging more points, more assists, more rebounds than he did last season. 
Luka Doncic has got a good case. LeBron's got a solid case as well. If you ask me, Giannis is MVP right now. Yep, Giannis. And I give Luka a lot of credit, too. He's 11-5 in the West. It's just about as uh, impressive as being 14-3 in the East is. Especially, you know, when you compare the two squads as well. Mavericks might be more impressive, honestly. And Luka Doncic, I think between Doncic and Giannis, it's close. But I give the edge to Giannis. I really do. Uh, but, again, with the Celtics... Last night, first of all, you know, you face a Kings team that was a little shorthanded. No De'Aaron Fox, no Marvin Bagley. They've been better without Fox so far this season, which I don't buy. I think they are a better team with Fox. I just think they got off to a slow start, and now they're starting to get back into their groove. But but he'll put up 41 points and 11 threes. Had an historic night. He still edged out the win. Uh, one thing I want to get to is Marcus Smart. We all know Smart's a great defensive piece to the puzzle for this Boston Celtics team. But offensively, I last night he was good. Don't get me wrong. Like he scored 17 points, was decently efficient, had seven assists, and he made some big shots towards the end. He hit that fadeaway, you know, he hit that uh, fade one-legged dirk fadeaway from the post on Corey Joseph, and then he hit that layup, you know. So he was clutch last night. He had two of your biggest buckets of the night. But that was because he had a favorable matchup and you had no Kemba Walker. Uh, you had Jason Tatum airball that shot before on the baseline. You had limited options. The nights before, you like, for example, I want to kind of trace back a few games ago. Let's just say let's just say that. A few games ago. Uh it's kind of like a double whammy year. You had the one against the Clippers, really the one I you I want to say the last game you faced against the Kings. It's the first one where Marcus Smart put up five points. Nine assists, played good defense, but he only had five points. He went one for 11 from th- three that game. I believe that was the game he went one for 11. Okay. And he's – this Clippers one was the one that really bewildered me. They lost 170 104 in overtime to the Clippers. Played a great game. It was a good good loss, if that makes any sense. Marcus Hart put up 15 points, but he was super inefficient. He was chucking up bad shots late in the game. And I just don't think there's any th- way that you can fix it. Because I think Brad Stevens sits there and says, listen, Brad and Mark Smart shouldn't be taking these shots. I'm glad he's shooting, but he should not be shooting this many shots, especially in you know late in crunch time. I look at but I feel like Brad Stevens is just sitting there and saying, I can, I don't want to tell him not to shoot and I don't want to scold him for it or anything because I'm afraid he'll get in his head and affect his defensive abilities and what he gives us on that end of the court. So I feel like that it's kind of just like a, a situation like that. I also do believe the last time we touched up on the Celtics, Gordon Hayward and Kemba Walker are both healthy. These injuries are huge blows for this team. It's clear Gordon Hayward was getting back into his groove, and then he got hurt. This man can catch a break. I hope he comes back, and he's at least 95% of what he was right before his injury. Because if he is, we're good to go. Even if he's 95%, of, you know, he, you know, he just loses a little bit of his touch from what he was Right before he got hurt, this you know this injury that he has right now, we're chilling. As long as it's not you know it, I should it shouldn't be as bad as his last leg injury. But as long as he doesn't come back and he's only fifty percent of what he was, we're good. If he's ninety five percent, ninety three percent of what he was, even maybe more than that, maybe he comes back and you know just picks up right where he left off. That's perfect. I just hope that can happen. Kemba Walker, I'm not too concerned because I feel like. His injury, well, Gordon Hayward, you know, we've seen what could happen with that. And 
Kemba's, you know, it just seems like a concussion. He should come back and be all right. But this Celtics team, they've got a lot of chemistry. They do, and they play in a lot of close games as well. That's my problem with Marcus Smart, too, is the difference between their their scores. I, I really do want to see uh, what's the difference between their points for. You know, I'm going to look up NBA points for and against. Uh, and it's going to be close. The difference isn't going to be that much for the Boston Celtics, believe it or not. I really don't think it is because they played so many close games that really every shot counts for this team. Every game is a close one. It really is. It's crazy. I want to re- I do really want to see the difference. All right, offensive points. Opposition points for. I, 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 it's not showing me. Uh, I, I just really, really do want to find this. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? My goodness. All right, all right. Plus minus. It's negative six and a half. Doesn't make any sense. It's not showing me. Maybe I'll do the math. I not not right now, obviously. But this Celtics team again, a lot of chemistry, but they're playing so many close games that every shot counts. And I don't want to see Marcus Smart taking this many shots. Also for the Kings, Buddy Healed should be taking that last shot, no doubt about it. What happened? Brad Wanamaker was on Buddy Healed. Robert Williams was on Bogdan Bogdanovich. Bogdanovich would hit that big shot. You know, towards the end of that game, but Heald was having a career night. He had the better matchup. I'd rather have Buddy Heald take a shot over Bogdan Bogdanovich. Plus, you factor in that Robert Williams is on Bogdan Bogdanovich and Brad Wanamaker is on Buddy Heald. No doubt I want Buddy Heald taking that last shot. What are you doing? He just stood there. It was like he wasn't part of the play. I know Brad Stevens, you know, does a good job of like doing that where like, oh, it depends on the matchup, but the Kings. One, in that scenario, you just have to give it to Buddy Heald. Especially when you see Brad Wanamaker's on him. Bogdan Bogdanovich with the Time Lord on him should never cross your mind. I know Time Lord's a big man, but still, it's obvious. They're going for the three at that point. Okay, I just didn't I didn't understand that. I was just bewildered by that decision that the Kings made. They're 7-9 and nine now. Uh, but the Celtics are 12 and 4. It's, it's looking good, but the standings towards these are getting tight. 14 and 3, the Bucks are. You're tied at 12 and 4, the Heat and the Raptors. The 76ers are 11 and 6. Pacers are 10 and 6. Next game, you got the Nets. Kyrie Irving, to wrap up today's episode. Kyrie Irving, oh my gosh. Am I buying that injury? Not one bit. The NBA tried to set him up with three road games in a row versus the Cavs, the Celtics, and then the Knicks. Three teams he get booed against. Two of them were his fault. The the third one, the Knicks kind of created that mess. The media. Not the Knicks, the media. But Kyrie Irving, this guy, you know, he pisses off two organizations, is one of the best players in the world, and is afraid to take crap. He's afraid to take hate. I lose so I've lost so much respect for him as a person. Like he's just such a grumpy dude. He's a bad teammate. He's afraid to take crap. He's one of the best players on the planet. Has requested, you know, really turn back on two franchises and expects, you know, everyone to love him. It's not how it works, buddy. Hate to break to you. You're in the big leagues now. I, I just can't believe him. He's just a joke. He's such a clown. But anyway, thank you guys for listening. Sorry for no episode in a week. I've been very busy. You know, Thanksgiving's coming up. A lot of teachers have tried cramming down some tests uh, down our throats lately. I just had a long stretch of tests that I had to try to get done, so a lot of studying for that and whatnot. Hopefully I can get back on the right schedule. Also, listens lately haven't been doing very good these last 
five episodes or so really haven't done very well. They've kind of flopped. Uh, and I guess it's kind of my fault being a little inactive, but still, now that I'm inactive, it gives you more days to listen to my last episode, but that's the problem. I've had this podcast for over eight months, and we really haven't increased our listens really by much at all, and it's just a little disappointing. I know I'm not the probably the, your favorite podcast out there. I'm working on it, and I love doing it. I'm obviously going to keep doing it. I know I say this all the time. It's cringy, whatever, but... We, I just want to see, you know, growth. That's what I want to see. I want to, like, it's just motivating. Like, I, I get up and motivate myself to do this, but I think it would just help a little bit if I could just get, you know, some improvement, you know, to keep going and keep improving. It's just not happening. So if you guys want to share this with a friend or two or whatever, that would be greatly appreciated. Anyway, again, go follow my Instagram at After the Buzzer Sports Talk, all lowercase, no spaces for some podcast updates and sports content. Again, that's after the buzzer sports talk, all lowercase, no spaces. So once again, thank you guys for listening, and I hope to see you guys next time.